Our scripture passage for this morning is from um, the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. You can follow along on the screen behind me, or there are Bibles scattered throughout the, the chair racks in front of you as well. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to, a region, to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. How many of you, when you hear Jesus' interaction with this woman, how many of you, when you first read it, at first blush, let's be honest, how many of you think Jesus was being a little rude, a little, a little insensitive to this woman here? Her, her daughter is struggling. She's suffering terribly. He ignores her. He implies she's a dog. What is, what is going on here? Well, as is always the case with Jesus, there's a rhyme to his reason. There's more going on. And so let's dig into it and see what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples and the woman, but also us today. Now, Jesus is the greatest teacher who has ever lived. And several things characterize a great teacher and they're at work in this passage. For instance, a great teacher aims not just at dispensing information, but at changing lives, right? A great teacher doesn't just give lectures. He or she creates experiences for the listeners. Great teachers know truth is most powerful when people have to to work to discover it. They don't just spoon feed. They help them to discover the truth for themselves. A great teacher is able to teach more than one person or group at a time. Their teaching is going on at, at different levels and hits people at different places of life and from different backgrounds. A great teacher's methods are not always clear to their students at the time. For instance, Jesus uh, was an expert at using what Walter Wink has called deliberately induced frustration. I like that phrase with his disciples. For example, he tells them one time to feed a huge crowd. They have no food to do it. He tells them to cast out a demon. They cannot do it. He puts them in a boat one day with a storm coming up and so on and so forth. Countless times, it seems, Jesus would put them in a place where they would reach the end of the rope, where they would have cognitive dissonance. They didn't understand what was going on. Deliberately induced frustration. Ken Bailey, who has written insightfully about this encounter, notes that to grasp the point of this passage, you have to see that Jesus is giving a test for two different sets of people. But tests are not always pleasant, are they, for those who are taking that test? An illustration, one of my favorite stories is about a guy taking a class in ornithology, the study of birds. Uh, The teacher had a reputation for being an extremely hard uh, teacher. And so this guy studied his brains out for the final. He walked in feeling well prepared, but much to his surprise and frustration, instead of having a normal test, 
Around the walls of the classroom were 25 pictures of birds' legs and feet. The test was identify the bird's name by looking at the pictures. The guy goes nuts and says to the teacher, this, this is crazy. Nobody can pass this test and know the name of these birds just by looking at their legs and feet. The teacher said, well, regardless, you have to take it. I'm not going to take it. You have to take it or you will fail. The guy says, go ahead and fail me. I'm not going to take this test. You can't expect us to look at birds' legs and know the names of those birds. The teacher says, all right, that's it. You have failed. Tell me your name. The guy rolls up his pants to his knees and says, you tell me. <laughs> now, now, the first thing at work in this story, I know it's a bad one, but the, the, the first thing at work in this story is that sometimes Jesus will teach us something about himself, about his kingdom, about ourselves by testing our faith. And this encounter with Jesus is a test both for his disciples and for this Canaanite woman. And in this passage, we're going to see that somebody aces the test and somebody gets an incomplete. Before we go a little bit further, though, let's get some background here. In chapter 14, Jesus uh, has fed 5,000 people miraculously by using just a few loaves and fish. And then after that, the disciples are, he sends the disciples out on a boat in the middle of the lake. It gets dark. Jesus walks to them on the water. It's been a very busy and stressful last few hours. And so Jesus and the disciples go north, and the disciples think for some R&R. And the area they go to is an area where Tyre and Sidon are these two Phoenician cities that are located on the Mediterranean coast. And you should know that the Israelites despised the people of Tyre and Sidon. In fact, the Jewish historian Josephus, who wrote roughly in the time of Christ, wrote this, the people of Tyre are our bitterest enemies. We can see how badly they're regarded by the Jewish people by looking in Matthew 11 and following. Jesus has performed several miracles among the Israelites, but the people don't respond in faith to him. And then in Matthew 11, it says, Then Jesus began to denounce the cities, the Israelite cities, in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Jesus said this, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida, both Jewish cities. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And basically what Jesus is saying is, even the most wicked people you think you know, even Tyre and Sidon, your bitterest enemies, the most spiritually degraded people you think you know, they would have repented if they had seen the miracles that you have seen. So the point is this Canaanite woman here in Matthew 15 would have been regarded by the disciples as an enemy, the lowest of the low. Anyhow, she comes to Jesus in Matthew 15 with a, with a cry of a beggar, have mercy on me, Lord have mercy. She repeats that title, Lord, throughout this story. She also calls him the son of David, which shows that she knew something quite a bit about Judaism. She's deeply respectful. She's deeply reverential. And that's the first thing we learn about this woman is genuine faith approaches the Lord humbly and reverently. But then in verse 23, it says, Jesus did not answer a word. So this woman's daughter is suffering terribly. She appeals to Jesus with humility and reverence, and he acts like he doesn't hear. He responds with silence, with what looks like indifference. 
maybe even rejection. And notice that Matthew doesn't try to hide this. He doesn't gloss over it, doesn't try to paint Jesus in, 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 a, in, a, in a special light here. He deliberately draws our attention to it in the text because Matthew knows what we don't know yet. He knows this is a test. And he wants us to grapple with what Jesus is up to. So this woman could walk away at this point, but here's part one of her exam. She has to decide in the face of Jesus' silence, how deeply do I want healing for my daughter? and How much am I willing to trust Jesus? That's part one of her exam, okay? We're going to leave her for a second and now look at the disciples because Jesus is also giving them a test, and it's a different test. It's a test of, of love. He's testing their understanding of Jesus' kingdom and mission, why he came, and their response reveals a lot to us. You see, the disciples are not surprised Jesus doesn't talk with this woman because, frankly, no rabbi they know would have done so. There was an ancient rabbinic saying, He that talks with womankind brings evil on himself, neglects the study of the law, and at last will inherit Gehenna, which was another word for hell. So the disciples are not surprised by this. Jesus deliberately ignores this woman, and he's watching the disciples to see what they will do. Do they understand his heart for everybody, including Gentiles, including this woman? Do they understand what he's about? Do they understand that he has come for all people? And the response in verse 23 shows that they're quite confident that their words will meet with his approval. Send her away. She keeps crying out after us. She's a nuisance. It's reminiscent of another story in the Gospels when children try to come to Jesus. The text says that the disciples rebuked the children and tried to send them away. Again, they thought they were quite clear on the kind of people Jesus did and did not have time for. Jesus goes on now to part two of the exam. The woman comes up. The disciples say, send her away. So Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, why would he say such a thing? You know, in other places, he makes it quite clear he has come for the, all, the whole world. He's not wanting anybody to perish. So why does he say here, I've come only for the lost sheep of Israel? Well, remember, good teachers don't just give lectures and hand out information. They know experience is a much more powerful teacher than simple presentation. So Jesus doesn't give them a lecture about negative attitudes. He tried that after his disciples shooed the women away or the children away. So Jesus tries this approach. He, he appears to agree with them. Of course, I'll get rid of her. I'm sent to Israel, God's favorite people. We have no time for Gentile, female, second-rate riffraff. Good call, guys. I'll send her away. But notice he doesn't send her away. He appears to agree and then watches to see how they will respond. Will anyone dare to disagree? Does anybody have the guts to stand up for this woman? Well, simultaneously, the woman goes through part two of her test. She's hearing what Jesus is saying. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's facing them. And his words say to her, in effect, you're an outsider. I'm the son of David. I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. You are not my mission. Why should I serve you? Why should I help you? The question for her, the test for her is, will she persist in her faith in Jesus, even when he seems unwilling to help her? But she has nowhere else to go. So she kneels on the ground in a posture of reverence and humility. 
In verse 25, it says, The woman came and knelt before him, and she utters again the phrase, Lord, help me. Now the disciples are watching this. And the tension starts to build in them strongly, because, as Jesus knew it would, because their theology, their worldview, tells them that this woman is to be shunned, rejected, ignored, and turned away. You see, this encounter is striking at beliefs and prejudices so deeply embedded in them that they will not get rooted out all at one time. But Jesus plants a seed here, and that seed will not be fully grown and harvested until the 10th chapter in the book of Acts, when Peter sees the Holy Spirit fall on a Gentile man named Cornelius. And Peter realizes God has no favorites, but accepts human beings from every nation. But the disciples don't get it yet. So Jesus speaks again. Now, now it might be helpful to, to picture Jesus looking at his disciples. He's searching their faces, still testing them to see how they'll respond. Verse 26, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Now, the meaning of the statement is very clear. The the children were the Israelites. The dogs were the Gentiles, by implication, this woman. And dogs in the Middle East were despised animals. They were scavengers and garbage eaters. They were considered almost as unclean as pigs. Jesus is forcing the disciples to face themselves. He says to them, in effect, you want me to get rid of this woman? You want me to limit my ministry to Israel? Okay, I'll do what you ask you, but this is what you're asking me to reject. Listen to her daughter's screams. He he gives voice to their theology. I mean, it's one thing to have contempt for somebody behind their back. It's another thing to hear the ugliness of your thoughts and feelings expressed out loud before a real human being. Will anybody speak up for this woman? Will one of them love her? The question for the disciples, the test is, will you love those who are radically different from you? And on that day, not one did. And that's the end of their test. They get an incomplete. They don't grasp Jesus' teachings and mission yet. But there will be other days, and they will do better. They're still learning but they don't have it yet today. You know, Jesus is giving some of us the the test that was given to them, the the test of love, the test of Jesus' mission. Do we understand it? Do we embrace it? There's probably somebody in your life you're having a hard time offering authentic Christ-like love to. Maybe it's a parent or spouse or child, a co-worker or a neighbor. Maybe, as with the disciples, it involves a whole group of people, a race, a belief system, a political party, a nationality that you have problems with. The love test is given all the time to God's people all over the world. This is from a book written by Tony Campolo. He writes, Some time ago I was invited to be a counselor at a junior high camp. I've never met meaner kids in my life than at this junior high camp. He says, don't get me wrong, I love junior high kids individually, but the gang at this camp was really bad, and their meanness was focused on an unfortunate kid named Billy. Billy broke my heart because he had been born with a whole host of birth defects. He had cerebral palsy, and his brain was unable to exercise proper control over the movements of his body or his speech. The other kids mocked him. They called him spastic. 
He would walk across the grounds of camp in his disjointed manner and the others would line up behind him, imitating him, mimicking his every movement. They thought it was funny. One day I watched as Billy asked one of the boys a question, which way is the craft shop? The other boy twisted up grotesquely, pointed a different, dozen different ways and said, that way. The level of meanness reached its lowest point on a Wednesday morning. Billy's cabin had been assigned the morning devotions for the camp of 150. All the boys in his cabin had voted for Billy to be the speaker. I knew and they knew he couldn't do it. They simply wanted to get him up there so they could mock him and laugh at him. They thought it would be fun to see poor old spastic Billy try to deliver a devotional talk. As little Billy got up out of his seat and limped his way to the platform, you could hear the mocking laughter and sneering going on in the group. But what was amazing was the ridicule of the boys did not stop that little guy. He took his place behind the podium and started to speak. It took him ten tortured minutes to say ten words. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. And I love Jesus. When he was finished, there was dead silence. Junior high boys were shaking and trembling and crying all over the place. A revival broke out in that camp and kids turned their lives over to Jesus. Campolo concludes by writing, I wish I had kept count of how many ministers I have met as I've traveled across the country who have told me they gave their lives to Christ because of the witness of somebody like Billy. A test comes for you and me just as it did for the disciples in Matthew 15. When a human being walks into our life, will we say, God, help me to love this person? Will you help me to speak and act with compassion and truth and courage? Here's somebody that's difficult for me. Maybe they're far away from you, but they're needy. They need love. They need you, Lord. That's the will of God for you and me. It's the way of Christ. To love all around us, to break down barriers and prejudices, to point others to the love that God has for all people. And that's the test given to the disciples in Matthew 15 and to us today. Now, we're not quite done with a Canaanite woman. Jesus is giving her a different kind of test, uh, an endurance test, a test of her faith. Now, as we've seen, Jesus uses harsh language about dogs to force the disciples to face themselves and to give voice to what they've been thinking and feeling privately. At the same time, he softens his language slightly for the woman, because you see, there are two words that Jesus could have used for dogs in the Greek. He chooses the one that means puppy, little, little doggy. He uses the word dog for the disciples' sake to confront them, but he uses the word little puppies, little dogs, to soften it for the woman. Now, this is the hardest part of the test for her. Will she run away? She could decide it wasn't worth the effort. She could give up. She could insult him in return. Or was her trust in Jesus' power to heal so deep? Was her faith in Jesus' compassion so strong? Was her commitment to Jesus as Lord and Master so unwavering that she will not give up, that she will persist in her faith? Her response is unbelievable. Yes, Lord, she says in verse 27. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She teaches us that genuine faith is persistent, that it does not give up ever. Some of us might be facing this test. 
Maybe something's going on in our lives and it's difficult and you don't know if you'll ever find relief. You kneel, you pray, you beg, you don't understand God's response. He seems silent. He seems indifferent, maybe even hostile. Why does that happen sometimes? There's so much that I don't know. But I do know that the choice that we're given, that every human being faces, is a choice between hope and despair and and faith and just giving up. The question is, will you keep going even when you don't know why? Even when you don't know if or when you'll get relief? When you cannot get any answers that could make the pain go away, will you still say, my Lord, even when his ways are not clear to you? Will you trust that the Lord is good? Finally, Jesus turns to face this woman. The test is over. It's time for the grades to come out. And Jesus says, woman, great is your faith. Your prayers are answered. Your daughter is healed. Woman, great is your faith. May the same be said of us today and tomorrow. May we approach Jesus humbly and reverently. And even when we don't get what we want, when we want it, the way we want it, may we persist in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day and thank you for your word. Lord, we want to be people of faith, of great faith, of persistent, long-term faith. So, Father, um, be at work in our lives and our hearts and our minds. Reveal to us any areas where we are limiting your work in our lives. And help us, Lord, to see all the people who come into our lives as people worthy of your love, worthy of our attention. We ask this, Lord Jesus, in your powerful and precious name, through whom we pray. Amen. Would you please stand now for the benediction? Just a reminder to our prayer team, if they could take their place in this hallway at this end. If you're here today and you'd like somebody to pray with you about something that's going on in your life, they would be glad and honored to do that with you this morning. Now may the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus the Lord. Amen.